Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Good morning, church. Good to see you here this morning. Relatively healthy and well, right? You've all had your flu shot. You're ready for the winter. Oh, wait a second. What winter? We're glad that winter has passed us by and hope that it just keeps on going. The latest Star Wars movie released in December did exceptionally well at the box office. It had a phenomenal opening weekend with over $517 million in box office receipts. Not bad for a movie, right? But why the huge success? I found a comment by a film studies professor this last week, and he said the studios finally seem to be remembering that after years of over-reliance on visual effects, that moviegoers like a story. It can be a story we're familiar with, he said. It can be a serialized story. But please, Mr. Studio, give us a story of some kind. Everybody likes a good story, right? The professor had a good point. But we actually have the best story in the universe, right? We've got the best story in the universe. We just sometimes need a little help getting that story out so others can hear it. But once upon a time, God created Adam and Eve. True story. And he placed them in the Garden of Eden and blessed them more abundantly than any human being could ever imagine being blessed. But they decided they were smarter than God. And so they disobeyed him and tried to make uh, things their, make their own way and take control of their own lives. That created enormous distance between the people that God created and himself. And it's been broken. It created a broken relationship between Adam and Eve and God. And that relationship between God and his people has been broken ever since. However, God also has this intense desire in his heart to have a a, a great uh, loving relationship with the people that he's created. And so he solved the problem of this separation caused by sin. He solved that problem in the most amazing way by sending his son Jesus to make things right. The son of God came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross willingly and obediently and gave his life on the cross so that people who repent and believe and trust in him could have eternal life. And now he offers eternal life to everyone who repents of their sin and trusts in him. That's the greatest story ever told. Wouldn't you agree? That's the best story in the universe. I've been to a lot of movies, but I've never seen a storyline quite like that one. And if we're going to live life on mission, which, by the way, is the title of the series, Life on Mission. If we're going to live life on mission and be everyday missionaries for God, 
then we need to tell this great story to as many people as possible, as often as possible. Everyday missionaries don't just listen to the story. They don't just get into a holy huddle and, and repeat the story. They tell other people about the story. That's what everyday missionaries do. So this morning, I just want to take some time to chat with you about some clear-cut practices in sharing the greatest story ever told. And the first practice is to identify. As followers of Jesus, I think that one of our first jobs, job one, is to identify the people that God has brought into our lives whom he is expecting us to share the story with. We need to identify them. We need to know who they are. And, and of course, we would start with our family, our immediate family. They're the first people that we need to gospel. Um, parents need to gospel their kids. And grandparents need to gospel their grandkids as, as best they can. We, we need to know who God is calling us to live on mission with. Who are your neighbors? Who are your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their stories? Do you know their background? Do you know what their hobbies are? Don't feel guilty. I think if you've said no to all of those, you are in a, you're in a pretty strong majority. There's a staggering percentage of Canadians who don't have a clue who their neighbors are, even though they've lived beside the same people for 5 or 10 or 50 years. I think it's something like it's close to 80% of people in Canada don't know who their neighbors are. Yet Jesus told us to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Is that not what he said? So how do you love people that you, you don't even know? You don't know their name. You don't know their story. You don't know their background. Do you know your coworkers? Do you know the people who work at the, de the desk beside you or the machine beside you? Do you know their names? Can you identify the people on your campus? Who are your classmates? I mean, God is already, he's already at work in the lives of the people that you work with and go to school with. And he's at work in the lives of the people who live next door to you or down the street or across the back lane. God's already at work in their lives. He's just waiting to inject you into their sphere of influence. You need to take some time to pray. And just identify, Lord, who, who do you want me to share this great story with? I mean, you, I, I can't share the story with every resident of Windsor, Essex, as much as we'd like to do that. But, but I might be able to share the story with my neighbor down the street. Or my classmate or my workmate. I, I might be able to do that. And if we, if we actually believe that God himself is already at work in their lives, uh, or just going, going in with that presupposition helps us to identify the people God wants us to share the story with. Let's watch this movie, this uh, video, and you'll see what I mean by that.
uh, about a year and a half ago, I received an email that Stephen wanted to meet for English classes. So I took an opportunity to send him an email back and say, hey, if you want to meet and talk about English, that would be great. We did, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to study the Bible. He said yes, he did. Yeah, at first, why uh, I would like to read the Bible just because of the stories. Think about the the meanings behind of the stories and what are this means in Christianity. When I was an atheist, I wasn't just an atheist. I was very angry at the Bible, and I was very angry at Christianity. And Stephen wasn't like that. He just said, "I'm just very curious about the Bible." And I thought, "Wow, this is amazing. This is just a huge blessing from God that there's somebody who doesn't have."、Um, A great barrier, a great wall against the Bible or against the church or against God. The feeling of the God is something like, first the feeling is like the sun, the sun or star on the in the sky. You know, is very far from me and is unreal. But maybe it 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 is existed, but I, I can never touch. I can never, I I can never read about this. We were going verse by verse through the Bible, and at times I got frustrated because. The language differences were were very real. There were words that we had to stop and to take apart and、uh, talk about.、Uh, sometimes for five or ten minutes on one word. What does predestination mean? What does election mean? What is sin? And sometimes we could only go through maybe two or three verses in an entire hour, but、uh, it was enough to know that hey, he he got that verse, he heard that verse, he got it, and this is something that God's word is saying about the way that the world is, and he heard it today, and for him it was the first time, and that was very exciting for me just to be a part of that. I feel this kind of patience、uh, helped me to understand things because he never he never pushed me, and I can took my time and. And really get to get the meaning of these words, and really get the meaning of this sentence of what it exactly saying in the Bibles. And it was exhausting at times, but there was other times it was just very encouraging because when he got it, he got it, and it was just a joy of knowing that he knew、uh, knew the word, even if it was just a very very small piece of it. For me, this kind of change is is something like.、Uh, A little bit and a little bit every day. I sometimes can feel that God really touched my life and God really take care of my life, and He really know I'm here. Stephen is here, and Stephen is my child, and I should take care of Stephen. I should let Stephen. So I began to think in the in the ways the Bible taught us, and、uh, which is a Christian ways, and try to. Pray for God to to change my heart and、uh, and try to thinking thinking about this. Or yeah, believing our Lord and I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I make mistakes, but our Lord will save me. So from then on, the the Bible is more than a fairy tale for me. It's a huge change, you know. It's a huge change, yeah. My, my job was not to get Stephen to like me, or to like America, or to like English, or to like anything else, but to to hear God's word and to to help him establish a relationship with God's word and and God Himself. And I'm just thankful that that God is such a big God that He can work through、uh, sinners like me and、uh, and share His message through very sinful, broken people. And I'm very thankful for that. 
大家好，我是学坤。我今天是一名基督徒，是因为有一个人把真理带给了我，真理无畏。So identifying who God may be leading you to share the story with just might be as simple as responding to an email. Are we really open to being used by God on His timetable? Stephen inquired about meeting for English classes. Michael responded, and that eventually led to Stephen's conversion to Jesus Christ. God is already at work in your sphere of influence. I guarantee it. So just take some time to pray. <laughs> be, be open to respond to the to the opportunities that God brings your way. Right? Be open to that, and God will use you. And then we need to invest in other people as we live out the gospel before them. So we identify. Who God might be calling us to share the story with, and then hopefully we invest our lives in them to some degree or another. Paul made this part of the missionary process. He made it very clear when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And there's a verse, First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight, where he says, "Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God." But our lives as well. Some sometimes this verse haunts me a little bit. Just just being honest, sometimes this verse haunts me because I think too often I feel too busy with other things that are not as important, and yet I'm too busy to get engaged and do the important thing and invest my life in the lives of people who need it the most. And that's haunting for me. I need to change that, because the truth is, sharing our lives with people actually opens the door up for us to share the gospel as well. He said, "We we we did not just share the gospel with you; we shared our very lives with you." Just have a look at Mark ten verse forty five. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. He came not to be served, but to serve. That should be our attitude too. Jesus invested His life. He invested His life for the ransom of many. He was not too busy to show people how much He loved them. And people often don't listen. They don't really care what you have to say until they know how much you care. And when you start to share your life with them too, then they, they they begin to open up to the story, and you can have that conversation, that gospel conversation with them. My busyness is not a good excuse, but neither is yours. Mark six fifty six. Wherever Jesus went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. The guy couldn't get away; had no time to himself. No spa days for Jesus, you know. 
They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. I can imagine that happened to you or me, you know, as we're walking down the street at Capernaum or down the street at Kingsville, looking at all the nice shops and people are trying to touch you, you know, touch your, get away from me. What is the matter with you? I came to Kingsville today just to get away from the riffraff and here you are, but not Jesus. He, he was never, you know, he was never too busy and, and he was always investing, investing, investing his life in people. I mean, we live in, in a broken world that is filled. It's filled with pain and desperation, right? You know that. I mean, the, the homeless person is in great discomfort because he has no place to sleep. And he's cold and, and he's hungry. But the, the successful CEO who pulls down a million dollars a year and lives in a gated community, his life is filled with emptiness and hopelessness. Their, their, their situations, their circumstances are radically different. But the end result is the same. They are lost without Jesus and they need the hope of the Savior. Their conditions completely different. But nonetheless, they need someone to forsake passivity and have compassion on them. Both, both need someone to bring the gospel to them. When I met Bill, I had just turned 50. I myself was a new convert. I'd been baptized uh, about nine months before. I was invited to this a symposium on uh, faith and reason. Something I would normally not have walked across the street to uh, see, but it just seemed like a good idea at the time. Shortly thereafter, during a break, this lovely woman came by and sat down next to me. I had the presence of mind to look at her name tag and uh, see that she was uh, an editor of uh, a magazine that I knew well. Well, it's a conservative magazine, and I thought, that doesn't compute. Harvard professor, conservative magazine. So I said, you must be strange. And that led to a lively conversation. When I first saw her, my first thought was, this might be the one. So I composed a letter, recognizing that she being an editor, I'd better make it good, proposing that perhaps we might to have dinner, and so we did. I was very blunt and said, I can't get romantically involved with you or with anyone unless it's a courtship leading to marriage, and uh, I can't marry a non-Christian, and you're clearly not a Christian. I thought I was a Christian, and um, Claudia said, well, actually, no, you're not. So that gave us a lot to talk about. Claudia was very skillful about sharing the gospel. Uh, she wouldn't say, look, dummy, here's the gospel. Uh, just sit down and be quiet. It wove itself into our conversation. I assumed I must be seeming extremely clumsy and blunt and abrupt and that this would be a big turn off and he'd disappear. 
but he didn't. <laughs> there was a turning point that I remember when we were talking about sin. I, I said, does sin interest you as an intellectual matter or in connection with your own life? And he said, very convincingly, in connection with my own life. So there, was, there were several turning points like that along the way. I had the opportunity to, to come to Claudia's church for the first time, and I saw something there I'd never seen before. There was a, a large congregation full of people that plainly, clearly knew and loved each other. This ultimately resulted in an opportunity to uh, meet with the pastor, who uh, quite understandably wanted to know just what it was that I was doing with his congregant. I explained that uh, we disagreed about whether I was a Christian. The pastor listened patiently and finally said, well, I regret to inform you that Claudia is right, you're not a Christian. Um, to which I replied, well, okay, what do I do about that? And all of a sudden, a lot of what Claudia was saying fell into place. So I uh, ultimately was baptized and joined the church. Bill and I met in, uh, in November 1998, and he was baptized in August 2004, and we were married in June 2005. And have lived happily ever after. My name is Bill. I'm a Christian today because someone brought the gospel to me. Be unashamed. So Claudia invested in Bill's life. He obviously had other interests right from the very beginning, but she was simply investing in the beginning in a guy who God had brought across her path, who happened to be a very liberal, leaning, left-thinking Harvard professor. She invested anyway because she was convinced that God had brought this man across her path. So she was going to be obedient to that. E even someone who at first seemed one of the most unlikely people to listen and believe in the gospel. You ever met anybody like that? I've met all kinds of them. PhDs in pharmacology, lawyers, medical doctors. God has brought across our path. And, you know, if I'm so glad that I'm no longer a slave to fear. Because guys like that scare me. Harvard, Harvard professors and medical doctors. Well, some scare me, some don't. Uh, Lawyers, you know, these are people that I often think of have got it all together and they're so much smarter than me. Well, then that part is true. They, uh, they are smarter than me, but I've got the greatest story in the world. 
to share. And I need to share it. If we're going to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ, we may have to invest when it's most inconvenient. Investing in people's lives is not, is not always convenient. They don't always show up or speak up or smarten up when you tell them to. It's inconvenient. So we identify, and then another practice is to invest, and then finally invite. Too, too many people invite too soon. They, they, they don't identify who God is leading them to, and they don't, they, don't, they don't invest any time or energy into a relationship. And they invite, and people say no, and they wonder why. Once you invest, and people begin to respond to your love and general, uh, genuine interest in them, then you can start to, to develop a deeper relationship. Jesus was all about the invite, wasn't he? He invited people to come. He invited people to follow him. He invited people to surrender. He invited people to believe. He invited people just to come and eat with him. Come on down, Zacchaeus, we're going for supper. And once he was invested, he, he began to share with them. Powerful, powerful thing. So joining God in his mission will require us to invite other people to follow Jesus. We need to get to that place where we invite them to follow Jesus. And we've got that beautiful story. I've used it already, and I think, in this series, in John chapter 1, where this, the story of Andrew, who invites his brother Simon Peter to come and meet Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means the Christ, the anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. A little while later, Philip finds Nathanael and in his excitement tells him, Hey, we found Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael says to him, Okay, all right, but can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was the say. Kind of like people that you meet from Toronto and you tell them you live in Windsor. It's like, really? Why would you live there? Can anything good come out of Windsor? And if you drive a Chevy or a Ford, you'd say, no, nothing good comes out of Windsor. <laughs> if you drive a Chrysler, you might admit to it. But what does Philip do? He simply invites him to come and see. Just come and see Jesus. Come and, come and meet Jesus. You'll see for yourself. And so he, he gives the invitation. Jesus was all about the invitation. And Andrew picks it up. Oh, Jesus was inviting all these people. Come and eat, come and follow, come and surrender, come and come and come. Just come. So I'll do the same. Come on, let's go. Let's go see Jesus. His invitation eventually leads to discipleship, and that's where all of this is headed. We're not interested in, in telling the story to people who say, Okay, yeah, I believe. Okay, sayonara. We'll see you later. That, that, it, it's just getting started there. That's just where, that's where it begins. It leads to discipleship. It should lead to discipleship. There's a church in Hawaii. I, I'm feeling a call. There's a church in Hawaii <laughs> called Blue Water Mission. And this is it's just a small church. 
But one of the things they felt God calling them to do was to open up a little restaurant called Seed. And they would use the restaurant to, to, to help people that they were reaching to become more marketable. You know, to get some job experience and then they could move from the little restaurant out into the, into the work world. Well, Mary Nelson started working at Seed last year. Uh, Mary was 53 or 54. It was only the second job in, that she had had in her 53 or 54 years. When, when she was 14, her, her mother committed suicide. And, and so Mary started working at the age of 14 on the streets of New York City as a, as a prostitute. And four years later, when she was 18, she decided she wanted to, to get a new start in life. And, and she moved to Hawaii, but she ended up continuing on as a prostitute. And then it wasn't until her early 50s that she met some people from Blue Water Mission who cared enough to share the greatest story with her and invite her into their lives. And they invested in hers and then they invited her to Blue Water Mission. They invited her to come to work at the Seed Restaurant. And for the first few months, all Mary did was wash dishes. I mean, she she was a mess. And so they, they kind of kept her hidden in the in back in the kitchen until she started to get her her sea legs under her. And after a lot of hard work and a lot of love invested by the people at Blue Water Mission, Mary came to faith in Jesus. See, somebody brought the gospel to her. And then invited her to follow Jesus. And that's important. Not just inviting people to church, inviting people to a program, inviting people to a Bible. We're inviting people to Jesus. Because it's not about the growing the attendance of our church. It's about populating the kingdom with men and women and boys and girls who know Jesus and love Jesus. And then they turn around and start telling other people about the love of Jesus so others can come to know Jesus. Star Wars may be a great movie. Phil seems to think it is pretty good. Great movie with a great storyline. But so many people will go see Star Wars and continue on their way to hell and a lifetime of separation from the love of God. What they need the most is the story, the greatest story ever told. They need to hear about Jesus. But who, who will tell them? Who, who will tell them? Who will tell them? Let's pray.
Lord, we have we have come this morning to this house, the house of God, to worship, to pray, to hear your word taught, to celebrate communion together. And we can't help but be reminded this morning that there are oh, hundreds of thousands of people that live all around us who don't yet know Jesus. And that's a good reminder. Thank you for, for reminding us this morning. Who will tell them? Who will tell them? We thank you for the great story of the gospel. At the same time, we don't want to be guilty of, of standing around in the holy huddle rehearsing the gospel to ourselves. We, we want to and we need to share it with others who are literally dying to hear this story. Thank you that you brought the gospel to us. You used someone else to share the good news with us. Now, enable us, equip us, empower us, motivate us to be the people who take it to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.